Welcome back to another episode of Outblank Podcast. Don, it is a pleasure to have you back on the show. It's like, got to be like your fifth time on, so it obviously means I like having you on. <laughs> well, that's, that's always good to hear. I've always liked being it, Robbie. Tell me about it. It's the 60th. Well, it just passed the 60th, just passed of JFK's death. Um, today we're recording this is the 60th of when Oswald was killed. A lot going on. And I'm wondering, are you optimistic about the future when it comes to getting information on the JFK assassination? You think it's as far as it's going to go? Uh, I have I, been told I'm blackpilled enough times to know I'm probably never going to be mistaken for an optimist on anything. Uh, I don't, but I tell you one thing, I, I, I find it. I don't know what it means, but um, and I haven't really talked about this. I did like five interviews yesterday. It didn't really come up, but there uh, there was a couple of reports that came out really out of nowhere uh, that are, it's, it's very similar to what we see with the UFO phenomenon, where and I was very interested in, in you know researching that when I was young. I always look it up trying to see a UFO unsuccessfully, but uh, they covered up that and they ridiculed everybody that saw them for decades. And the, in the last few years suddenly that's been given respect and they're showing the videos like this is something new. Well, maybe the JFK assassination is going to get the same kind of treatment because they had an article in Rolling Stone of all places, which just like all the other media is covered up forever. And uh, it was the same, especially something like Parkland doctors speak out or something. This is obviously old information because they're all dead pretty much. So, uh, it's, we all know about that, but why are they, this is very similar to what they did with UFO uh, phenomena, and then you have Landis, you know, Paul Landis, the Secret Service agent, finding that bullet allegedly and making making himself look like you know a potential criminal because he planted the bullet. But nobody seems to realize that, but me apparently. But so I don't know what's going on. I don't think that they're they're it's going to get the same kind of treatment the UFO did because they've they've, they've uh, devoted so much time over the years to you know pushing the Oswald did it fairy tale, and most of the Time magazine had a you know Oswald did it fairy tale. Predictably, and I haven't seen anything else, but I just don't think at this time, uh, Robbie, like I said about other things, um, the court historians, as I call them, they're devoted to they're in they're they have really invested so much invested so much in these lives that, for instance, when I was writing crimes and cover ups, uh, prequel to hidden history, I spoke to the descendants of Meriwether Lewis and uh, John Wolf Booth about both of them want to exhume those bodies now. Remember, Lewis, you're talking about the early 1800s. Now, if he was murdered, as a lot of us think he was, instead of killing himself, how would that affect politics today? But the same court historians, you know, the Park Service is blocking that. And usually the family, same thing with John Wilkes Booth, even if they found, as I think, it wasn't John Wilkes Booth buried in that grave. I think he did, you know, escape and live on for decades. There's a lot of. But even if they found that out, how would that affect politics today? It really wouldn't. But uh, they're so invested in these lies, they don't want to admit they're wrong about everything. And of course, they smeared people about those issues, especially women. And uh, they smeared, so certainly the Kennedy assassination, I call other law conspiracies, they have devoted so much attention. I mean, back in the 60s, you had Anthony Lewis, who was a big reporter for the uh, New York Times and uh, still alive. Uh, this girl, they co-wrote the book uh, um, basically called Scavengers and Critics of the Warren Report. And they viciously attacked, you know, Harold Weisberg and Penn Jones and all these people, you know, accused them of being alcoholics and all, all these things. Almost none of them made any money on it. They So they've devoted so much time to this that I, I just don't see them. It's something like COVID, you know, I talk about they're, they're never going to admit that they were you know, wrong in that because they've, they've called up so many names. They're never going to say, well, you know what, you were right. Never going to come up to you know the, the, those of us that are left and say you know God, 
we should have treated Mark Lane and Harold Weinsberg and this guy, Jim Garrison. This guy's better. It's a, they were really right. Guys, why didn't we see that? Why? How come in the, in the world of investigative journalism, why didn't any of us try to investigate that like you guys did, like, you know, retired chicken farmer Harold Weisberg did, you know, and World uh, Health Organization worker uh, Sylvia Marr did. Why, why, why didn't we do any of that? Alex Weiss, Shirley Martin, they did all the work. The investigative journalists outside of Jim Mars, who was a local Dallas newspaper reporter, for all, he's the only one, really, that Enero Goals and other local um, Dallas reporters, those are the only two really that did any kind of investigative reporting. Other than that, it, it was people like me or a previous generation of people like me. And it's, I tell you, Rob, it's not, it's, you know, it's, it's, we can do the research we can. And in the upcoming book I have, and it just been published, uh, you know, I have some disclosures in there. I was able to get a hold of a family that had not been talked to before. So we, we can make some strides, but we don't have the resources of the mainstream media. Just imagine if what, what a network could do with a, uh, a well-produced, you know, documentary on all the lies and distortions of the official story, and, and make the public understand. Although the majority of the public already does understand, but it would probably convince the the people out there that still accept this fairy tale. Ah, this is. We don't know who did it, but it obviously wasn't Oswald. But they've 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 devoted a lot of time and effort, money presumably, to uh, preserving this lie. You mentioned Paul Landis. Why, if you don't believe Paul Landis, which I don't, but I'm, I'm interested in your thoughts on it. But why do you think the media bothered to pick it up? It doesn't really stick with the official narrative. No, I, I, I really don't know what to make of that because uh, it, both sides, the conspiracy community is is happy. I mean, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. tweeted out, "Oh, this destroys the the single bullet theory." Well, the single bullet theory was destroyed when it was, you know, when it was first put out there. I mean, it was impossible. It was always impossible. So this doesn't really change that. It throws something else in there. It throws another monkey in the rent works. But um, I don't know what Landis's motivation was because it makes him look bad. It doesn't make him look good. But again, both sides are kind of still hailing him as a hero. Nobody's questioning him. Like both sides would say, well, wait a minute. Okay. First of all, how did that bullet get on the top of the back of the remote seat? Regardless of how that happened, you know, if, it, if, it, if there really was a single bullet there, how did it fly out of Connolly's thigh where you claim it ended up and back in the back seat behind JFK? And if it was like a lot of conspiracy people believe it was uh, that bullet was fired into the shallow back wound. And, it, you know, it, it fell. How would it fall out and end up on top of the seat? That doesn't make any sense, regardless how you look at it. Or was it another bullet that was just there at all? But regardless, he didn't act as a, a properly. As a law enforcement professional should have, he should have taken the bullet. This is crucial evidence, and he should have marked it and started the chain of possession. That's what he's trained to do. Instead, he puts it in his pocket and goes and plants it on JFK's stretcher. I mean, we always thought Jack Ruby planted the magic bullet. Well, apparently, it was Paul Landis. I mean, so that makes him an accomplice after the fact, really, because you're you're distorting the record. You already, we know the Secret Service already corrupted the crime scene by cleaning it out. With soap and water, we can see the bucket and pictures. So we know they destroyed the crime scene to begin with. So in any real investigation, that's why I concentrate a lot on the Secret Service, way more than the CIA and all that other stuff, because that's where you start. You figure, okay, because we see, we see they didn't react at all. They did nothing. It's, it's all of them. You know, maybe a couple of them were still hung over from being drunk till five in the morning, violating all protocols. Nothing happened to them about that. They weren't criticized. And Paul Landis was one of them. It was Clint Hill. He's making a lot of money, a lot more money than I make off my books out there still, you know, putting out a lot of disinformation, but none of them reacted in six, seven seconds. So 
they were the most obvious people who uh, made the assassination happen. If they had done their job, JFK would have survived unquestionably. They know that. So in a real investigation, they should have been the ones that were grilled by the authorities. If, if the authorities weren't the ones who planned the assassination, which a lot of us believe they must have been, then the first thing they would have done, they would have raked these secret service agents over there. They would have taken Bill Greer, the driver, and they would have showed the video that they had. And uh, they would have said, you know, what are you, what are you doing here? You know, you look like you're stopping or almost stopping the limousine. Is that what you're trained to do with the sound of gunfire? And then what are you doing here? You're, you're, you're turning your head around and looking in the back seat and watching his, uh, the, the other shot blow its head off. Is that what you're trained to do? That's what a real investigation would have done. And there's no answer for that, of course. They would have asked Roy Keller and sit next to him, okay, why aren't you look back? You can see Rufus Youngblood, who was in your position in LBJ's car. How come he reacted instantaneously and went and jumped and knocked the LBJ down and, and uh, uh, camouflaged him with his body as he's trained to do? Why didn't you do that to JFK? And then he would talk to all the people in the backup car, including Flynn Hill, who reacted too late to do anything. They would have, they would, they would have talked to Emery Roberts, who was in charge of the car, the backup car. And they would have said, you know, look, John Reddy here, he's starting to jump off. Why did you call him back? Why didn't you let him do his job? So that's what I, I would start any investigation with the Secret Service. And certainly now you throw this, uh, you throw this extra thing in there with, with Paul Landis. I don't know what that means, but I don't think it helps us get anywhere near the truth unless it is just to make the Secret Service look even more ridiculous. If that's to be believed, then this guy inexplicably did something that, you know, any first year uh, police trainee would know not to do. I mean, any, anybody up the street would know you don't you don't take an important piece of evidence like that and go plant it on and go stick it on somebody's stretcher. That's what he claimed he did. And. Literally, I think I'm the only one questioning it. Everybody else is just saying, uh, I don't know, either it, it, it's, it's a ridiculous story or not. Well, whether his story is true or not, I'm, I don't think it is, but whether it is, what, what, what is he getting? What is his motivation here to sell books? I mean, he, I don't know if it's too late. There's no, um, because the, uh, the, uh, the time, you know, the time doesn't run out on murder charges. So, uh, he could still be theoretically uh, charged as an accessory after the fact because he tampered with evidence. He planted it. He put it where it wasn't. It, it didn't end up. So by that, that distorts completely distorts the crime scene along with cleaning out the thing. But I know I look at things differently than most people do. But uh, I'd love to question Landis. But I mean, I, I That's why you're going to come banned up. from all these damn conventions that they keep having? Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> No, I, I like your take on things. I'm just curious. I mean, if you look at the Secret Service, James Rowley said he talked to the Asians and gave them a stern talking to. And I don't remember if it's Dean Rusk or not told him, why didn't you fire it? It's a it's a fireable offense, them drinking the night before. But apparently it's just the standard the Secret Service did. They just it was known that they did that long before Kennedy was assassinated. They were drinking and they partied and did that type of stuff. But the discrepancy on it, because he changes, I think this Vanity Fair article came out that said nine of the 28 were out drinking. Some are at the press club and some are at the cellar. Mm -hmm. But then Rowley said, no, it was only four agents that were involved in the motorcade. Well, even if it's just what he calls four agents, those were the some of the most crucial ones. Clint Hill said he had to preset an alarm to get wake him up for breakfast. And then Landis was one of the guys out till 5 a.m. at the cellar. 
So, and that's, and even, even in the one, what does that say about the ones that weren't out there? They didn't have an excuse. So, I mean, it just, it boggles the mind. You know, I, I, I quote, uh, James Forrestal, a Truman secretary of defense who was pushed out of a window, I think at Bethesda Naval Hospital. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> what? Oh yeah. You heard that? I, I quote this guy all the time. Uh, <clears throat> Back in probably, I think it was circa 1950, late 40s, 1950, James Forrestal was the first Secretary of Defense. Up until then, it was Secretary of War. He was Truman's, and he was uh, he was the first modern, he was the first critic of uh, Israel. He, he did it when it was just being created. Uh, he also, I think, was involved in talking about UFOs. He was an interesting guy. And uh, he went in the hospital for unclear reasons, and he wound up falling, jumping, or or being pushed out of a window. And uh, we touched up. I've written about it in my book. And uh, one of his best friends was Joe McCarthy. I'll, I'll have a lot more about Joe McCarthy in the American Memory Hall. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to restore that guy's career. He was completely different what they said. At one point, and, so, and Joe, Joe Kennedy Sr. and John Kennedy, uh, JF Kennedy, they were both good friends with Forrestal. And Forrestal toured uh, uh, post-war Europe with JFK, with young JFK. So they were all good friends uh, with all the old man and JFK. So and so was McCarthy. McCarthy was the godfather of uh, RFK's oldest child, Kathleen Kennedy. So uh, these these were, you know, they were all Irish Catholics and so forth. But he, uh, Forrestal, and I use this line all the time to describe what I'm talking about in terms of the conspiracy. He said, you know, McCarthy, if there wasn't a giant conspiracy, once in a while they'd make a mistake in our favor. And I use that line all the time. And of course, McCarthy was one of the first ones who who said McCarthy was also one of the first conspiracy theorists on Pearl Harbor, by the way. And he was also he was he wrote a little book saying the murder of James Forrestal. He openly postulated they killed him. This is the and then McCarthy himself, a couple of years later, goes into Bethesda Hospital with a knee problem. Dies two days later at age forty eight, no autopsy performed, and we still don't know. The press just claimed he died of pain. Um, so those, and of course, Bethesda is the same place where they gave uh, JFK with what Harold Weisberg accurately termed an, an autopsy unworthy of a Bowery bum. So Bethesda is not a place you necessarily want to go. I got sidetracked by saying that, but that, my point was that rant, things happen randomly. That's why people tell me all the time, you believe everything's a conspiracy. And I say, well, yeah, we're being run by conspirators. They don't know any other way to do things. You know, if, if you had the serial killers running things, they would always act like serial killers. The conspirators that run, the people that run things, they conspire against the public interest. That's all they do. They don't, I don't think they know any other way to do it. They don't know how to do business any other way. So, yeah, they are. They're conspiring all the time. They cover up. Uh, witnesses are silenced all the time. The body counts are a mile long. For all we know, parts of the CIA, the CIA's budget is still top secret. The, all the intelligence agencies' budgets are, are top secret. Always been. They could have a little hit squad, an assassination squad in there. We wouldn't know about it. Not much money is financed to silence people, but there's a lot of people that have been silenced. And James Forrestal was one of the most high-ranking officials that was. But I think what he said is important because uh, that's is something like Dealey Plaza, the Secret Service there, randomly could randomly, without them being part of, of a conspiracy or doing it knowingly, could all of those agents have just failed to do their job and follow the training? I, even if they were all hung over, which they weren't, as you point out, I find that hard to believe. I don't think that can happen randomly. I think that uh, I, what I'm willing to do, and I'm one of the only people who talks about this, but I'm willing if, to give them the benefit of the doubt. It's possible 
they were told ahead of time that there was going to be a drill. We know how many drills have happened since then. Sandy Hook, Boston bombing, 9-11, all of those, there were drills going on the same day. All of those. It's possible there could have been an early drill. They could have told them, hey, you know, we're going to, you know, we're, we're, we're uh, either, they could have either said, because a lot of them didn't like Kennedy, or they could have said, you know, JFK doesn't take seriously. So we're going to, we're going to stage a, a drill here. Or they could have said, we're just going to do a drill and the president's aware of it. Don't worry. Anything like that. And so if you're a Secret Service agent and you're told there's a drill happening and uh, you and so you're not supposed to react, if that's the case, then uh, I can I can almost understand. I can empathize with. Um, with the Secret Service agent, let's say you see and you suddenly see, wow, he really was shot. What are you going to do then? I mean, and, and, and you realize, wow, wait, and maybe you, you wait. I mean, these guys follow orders. Cops, military, Secret Service agents are no different from anybody else. So they're going to wait to, to say or do something until they hear from their superior. Their superior tells them something, hey, look, we got to clean this. Something really backfired. Look, clean out the car. You know, who knows? I'm just speculating. I'm trying to, to put these guys in the, put them in the best possible light. And maybe they weren't all, you know, willing participants in that. So they could have been told anything. And, uh, and then after the fact, when they start seeing it, you know, being portrayed in one way, are they are they going to suddenly, hey, you know, there was a drill that day, and, and what happened? They're not going to do that. The average Secret Service agent's not going to do that. And uh, and maybe a couple of them, who maybe the Henry Ripka, you know, who I talk about a lot, uh, he's the guy you can see shrugging at the airport, you know, saying, you know, what, you know, at, at Love Field, as he's being uh, drawn off the uh, the detail. And I, you know, in Hidden History, I was the first one to touch base with his family. William Law, who's the co-author of the book, Kim Law was helping me out with research on that. And he, I talked to the granddaughter and he talked to his son. And people can read about it in history. It's a very, very suspicious conversation. I think Ripka uh, was not in on the loop. So he may have been one of those that, that they silenced. He died at a very young age. And uh, there may have been others, uh, you know, a couple other agents that died before the time, including Emory Roberts, who was in charge there and, and withheld the people, the agents from jumping from the car. But um, this is, I know this is all speculation, but I, I think that we need to look at, and I differ from a lot of the people in the research community. I, I start with the Secret Service. It happened because the Secret Service didn't do their Whether you believe Fletcher Prouty with Prouty with the, what they were supposed to be doing, the windows, and they were supposed to be helping and all that. It looks like it wasn't standard operating procedure that day. Vince Palomero, who's a friend of mine, I, I go to him for the Secret Service. He's the go-to guy in the Secret Service. Survivors Guild is the essential work on that. And uh, he told me, you know, as I said, you know, that, that motorcade in pictures, as Vince looks at all the other pictures, and that motorcade was different than all the other motorcades. And he, he you know, agreed because what the reason why we speculated about so much things, so many things, including Zapruder film alteration, is because the professional footage stopped at Love Field. In fact, the, pretty much the last professional footage you can see is that guy, is Ripka shrugging, saying, "What when they when they take him away from? He, he should have been jogging alongside the motorcade as the agents invariably did. You look at all the other uh, motorcades; they jogged alongside the presidential limousine. There were none doing that that day. It was wide open for a clearer shot, obviously, and Ripka, Ripka wasn't in on it. But after that footage. Then we go to the home Lydia. So we're, we're left of Abraham Zapruder and Orville Nix, Marie Watchmore. And of course, we can't see the Babushka woman's film. It was probably the best home video of all because 
<laughs> never seen it, and we're still not even sure if it's Beverly Holler, but whoever, it's, it's not out there. We shouldn't have to rely on that. We should have had professional footage, and the, the press car and every other motorcade was stationed right in front of the limousine, and they were they would show like a you know they could see a close up view of JFK, frontal view of him waving and smiling. That would have been obviously there wouldn't be any questions left if we had that. But that day, for whatever reason, they were they were knocked back six seven cars in a bus, a press bus. Unlike any again, there was nothing that happened that day with standard operating procedure. Very peculiar. Admiral Berkeley, the president's physician, was usually sitting in next to him in the limousine many times as well. So there were lots of protocols broken that day. And uh, a real investigation would have gone into all that. Certainly would have uh, you know, asked him, what are you doing? But Bill Greer would have been the first person question. You know, what, what are you doing here? You're the driver. They could have even, you know, talked about a mysterious death that happened before the assassination. That was Thomas Shipman. Who oh, was yeah, a, he, a, he was the regular driver that died before he had a heart attack right after his physical. Yes, at, at Camp David, and it got almost no publicity. And imagine a, a, a Secret Service agent dying at a young age like that at Camp David. That's that should have been a pretty big news story. It wasn't, and uh, so those are the kind of things that should be looked into. But uh, I mean, I realize I'm, I'm, you know, I'm probably uh, one of the few. I mean, Vince looked at the secret. Vince is not as conspiratorial minded as I am. But um, where'd you first hear about Thomas Shipman? I think it was probably through Vince. I think, and I, I, I went. I, you know, in the American Memory Hall, which is coming out next year, that's going to have a lot more about Shipman and also about. God, I can't think of the guy's name now. The, uh, the guy that was the, it was a young, twenty-seven years old, died of a heart attack as well. I, I can't believe I can't remember that guy's name, but he, he died mysteriously right around the time of the assassination. He would have been the, I think he was the head of JFK's honor guard. It's unclear if he died before or after the assassination. There, there's uh, there's sources for both, and uh, his I, I I went into it. Bill Kelly is one of the researchers that looked into that too. But I'll have a lot in the American Memory Hole where uh, we find that his uh, his sister was very suspicious of it, and she died well before her time as well. So the American Memory Hole will be filled with all that stuff. I go into the minutia of these things, and that's why I say you know there's they they appear to have some kind of hit squad, but. Um, so yeah, Shipman, I heard about him through there. And, and just look at whoever the regular driver was supposed to be, Greer didn't do his job. I mean, that was now where's the proof for Greer slowing the car down? Is that from the next film or you see the brake lights, or do you have it from somewhere else as well, too? Yeah, yeah. It, you can see the brake lights, and you also and that's why so many people think the film was altered, because uh you had 59 witnesses, and Vince Palarum was the one that did that well too. He wrote an article called 59 Witnesses, who uh all unconnected to each other, who when they were testifying in their Warren Commission or FBI testimony, Dallas police, whatever, they all mentioned that the motorcade stopped or almost stopped, that the limousine stopped or almost stopped. I don't think that many witnesses could possibly be mistaken. That's one of the main reasons why so many people think that Zapruder film was altered, because it doesn't show uh, you know, a dramatic stop like that. And see the brake lights in the next film. and. Um, it's clearly it was going very slowly, and, and you can also see how close the, the Secret Service follow-up car was. Again, they, they would have taken you know five or six steps, and they would have been on the limo, so they could have gotten there in a second too. Could have easily saved his life. They'd done their job. But um, do you think that the Secret Service just? I mean, like, what, what what's the reasoning for them going and meeting with Dallas police and you know everyone that was involved in enforcement down there and telling them to stand down when they could have had anybody? 
on that route. I mean, they had the motorcycle cops there, but they were moved back to the rear. And I think their excuse was that Kennedy didn't like the sound of the motorcycles. He didn't want it too loud. And it's like, what are you talking about? Yeah, well, and that's and that's that's been their tactics. Bill, uh, um, uh, Glenn and, and Vince has talked so much about this. Clint Hill is still doing that, but they're basically doing or blaming Kennedy for his own death. And uh, Jim DiEugenio talks about this as well too. That uh, Kennedy was uh, Vince talked to all the Secret Service agents. Uh, you know, he got just about everybody except Ripka. You know, Ripka's family. He didn't get through to them like I did, but um, he to a, to a person, they all said Kennedy never interfered with their job. They, you know, he let them do what they wanted. He never got in the way. But that's been the, the uh, posthumous assassination of JFK, as Jim DiEugenio calls it. That's part of the thing, and you can see it now in, in Clint Hill's books, The Revisionist History, where it's you know he told us he didn't want us on the back of the motorcade, which is BS. Uh, Gerald Blaine also said that again. It's not true in his book. Um, he let them do their job, and you can see in other motorcades, even in that motorcade, you can see Clint Hill was was hanging on to the rear bumper for parts of that motorcade, as he did in many motorcades. If he had been there again, wouldn't have happened. He would have been right there. Then, if he had to react, you know, he would should have been arrested. He was literally hanging on the back of the car. He could have just made a, a small jump and been on top of him. But um, this is it's and it's part of the, the posthumous assassination of JFK is, is Jim DiEugenio and I are two of the only ones I get accused of being a fan, Kennedy fanboy and I pretty much am. I think we need some kind of heroes and the you know the JFK especially look, looks heroic compared to all these other people he really does and uh, I think that what they've done to him in, in the year since especially with Judith Campbell Exner and I wrote about that in Hidden History she's, she's a very dubious character the same media that would poo-poo all conspiracy theories and refuse to look into them. As soon as she appeared at her first press conference with these huge, you know, uh, Looney Tunes sunglasses and a ridiculous hat on her head and never mentioned the mafia, by the way. Never mentioned it. Uh, when she first appeared there claiming she'd been his mistress and so forth, it was accepted instantly. The same media that wouldn't accept conspiracy theories accepted that, that the president of the United States had shared a mistress, mistress with this mafia guy, Giancana, who his brother's attorney general was trying to target. So, uh, and that's, so that's, that was what really started the anti-Kennedy stuff. And, and so many people like Noam Chomsky today, who's a hero of the Benny on the left, he will tell you, he doesn't care about Kennedy. And I, I talked in Hidden History I have all the quotes from all the leftists, William Kunstler, you know, the lawyer of the Chicago Eight back in the day. They all hate the Kennedys. Kunstler, they basically, many of them said they're glad he was assassinated. And these, these, these comments go under the radar. And people, don't, I mean, the, the left has been way more, I mean, some on the right are too, but the left, generally speaking, Eugene McCarthy had awful things to say about Arnold. He said he deserved it. Andrew Schott. So uh, I, I, I'm think I'm the only one outside of Eugenio, and I've probably gone farther with it. That uh, talks about the way the media. You know, there's a myth on the right that the media, you know, loves the Kennedys, and that may have been true at first. The immediate aftermath, the assassination, the Camelot myth, and everything. But especially once Judith Campbell Exner came along, he gets he's he's the only Democratic president that is routinely criticized and raked over the coals by the court historians. All the others, you know, I'll be talking a lot more about Woodrow Wilson and FDR, especially, uh, but uh, those guys get nothing but good press. Kennedy, not Kennedy. Even LBJ gets better press than media than they do. They, they hate Kennedy. 
What do you think about Truman? Truman obviously made some statements about various figures like Dag Hammarskjöld um, when his plane went down. And then Truman also wrote something about the, I think it wrote a tabloid for the Washington Post about the CIA, which Dulles had to put a fake uh, message in there or something to try and counter that and then talk to him afterwards. But like Truman even being friends with Kennedy towards like the end of uh, Kennedy's life, you know, when he's in administration before he was calling Kennedy out in the beginning, saying he was too young oh, to be president. Yes, he hated, he hated him. And the, the Democratic establishment hated him because they hated his father. And, you know, part of what I do as I, you know, even the people that like the FK, I'm, I'm almost alone. I don't know how the union feels. I don't think he does either. But um, I'm a fan of Joe Kennedy. Scene. I think the guy was a was a great American. And the more I more, the more I look at him, uh, this guy was, a, was an anti-war protester going back to World War One. And uh, he was one of the first critics of the Federal Reserve. Uh, he, you know, he, he was just a, a really, he's been treated unfairly, not to mention the tragedy, losing four children in separate unnatural events, two plane crashes and two murders. I mean, how do you overcome that Greek tragedy there? But um, he had, JFK inherited all the Kennedys. And Bobby Kennedy Jr., I pointed out in this book, American Values, I didn't know about it. You talk about something that flew under the radar. There was a commission. I don't even know what the name of the commission was in the 1950s under Eisenhower to investigate the CIA. Joe Kennedy Sr. was part of that commission. Joe Kennedy Sr. was the most outspoken member and wanted all power taken away from the CIA, except no domestic power at all from the CIA. Now, this is, again, how many people know that? So Alan Dulles, who was the director of the CIA at that time, he had it in for the Kennedys from that moment on. He hated the old man. If you can imagine his horror when his son was elected president, then his son fires him after the Bay of Pigs. So did Alan Dulles have a motive? Yeah, I think so. And most people don't know that. Joe Kennedy Sr. was uh, uh, was very influential with his son. And uh, so the Roosevelt's, Eleanor Roosevelt, hated JFK because his father. And uh, Truman initially hated JFK. Maybe he warmed up to him. Adlai Stevenson initially hated him. He warmed up to him. But the uh, the Democratic establishment was no friend of Kennedy's, but it was all because they hated his dad. And, uh, you know, most people, and, and JF, RFK Jr. really exploded all the myths. I and mean, you hear all the time he was a bootlegger and all this. It's the only evidence against him or having an affair with glorious Swans and all, just like JFK with Marilyn Monroe. All of the evidence for, for those things against Joe Kennedy Sr. comes from either mafia or CIA sources. Everyone. Do you not, do you not believe the Carlos Marcello loan, $25,000 towards Kennedy's campaign because of Joe no, Kennedy? I don't believe that for a second. I, I, don't, I don't think there's any evidence that, because it's based on thinking that the, the old man was mobbed up going back to, to a prohibition days. And there's no evidence for that. Again, it's mafia sources talking later who hated the Kennedys. Because the Kennedy White House was the only one to ever go after the mafia. I mean, they, they, no other no other administration ever. They just completely left them alone. And um, you know, though, so they had a reason to be hostile towards him. Plus, he was he was. I look at his record, and to to obtain the fortune, and he and unlike most of these guys, I wrote a book, Survival of the Riches, that talked about almost all of these guys, one percenters. They. They are born on third base and think they hit a home. They all come from wealth to begin with. So like Donald Trump, you know, made the jump from a multimillionaire father to a billionaire. So it's a lot easier to do that. You know, if you, if you have, and, and so many of these guys, it's the same way. But Kennedy, Joe Kennedy uh, Sr. really did come from nothing. 
they, they were poor Irish. And he, you know, he was brilliant enough to manipulate the stock market and make his money, became the nation's youngest, uh, youngest bank president at age 25, and uh, was smart enough to see the, 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 great, the, the great crash coming in the stock market and was one of the few people in his uh, financial realm who didn't lose money. He got out. He got out when he said, like JFK would later tell the story. The only thing he knew about the Great Depression was from the history books. There was no impact on his lives at all, and because they were they were insulated, they were that wealthy. But uh, Joe Kennedy Sr. There's an old expression: behind every great fortune is a great crime. I, I don't see any great crimes in Joe Kennedy. He, he was adored by his children. He's a very hands-on father. But uh, so I, I go contrary to all the myths about him. Now he, he probably was a womanizer. I don't know. It's just like JFK. That's the worst you can say for a guy that has money. I, I mean, we're. I think a lot of us would probably fall into something like that. That's a like fair that. point. That's a fair yeah. point. That's a good fucking point. Yeah, I mean, you know, if, I mean, if if he really did have an affair with Gloria Swanson, one of the most beautiful movie stars there, I mean, how many of us could resist that? If JFK was slept with Marilyn Monroe. Could many of us resist that? I don't know. We're but there's clear mob connections when it comes to. Politics doesn't even need to be Kennedy assassination related. Like I don't think the I don't think the mob did it, but to me it's just overwhelming. Jimmy Hoffa giving money from the Teamsters pension to Nixon. Howard Hughes, why is that guy stepping in the ring and donating some money to Nixon's campaign? I mean, this is these are clear prominent figures that are just walking around like average citizens, but they have power. And and right, I, I talk a little bit about Howard Hughes and the in American Memory Hall. It, it, was, it was people that tie him to the RFK assassination. Uh, but and certain uh, that it's it's kind of a convoluted I, and I I've forgotten a lot of it. I got I, I I'm indebted to Chris Graves and Peter Tkach. They get, give me so much research, and Peter really pushes the Howard Hughes thing. And so he gave me some. I think uh, I can't remember exactly. This it's basically some aid to Howard Hughes that came forth later and talked about uh, Hughes was saying. And I, I I don't really necessarily buy it because Hughes is one of those people that was so eccentric. I'm not really sure how much power he had. Beyond obviously had a lot of money, but I think what we see here, the the people that you mentioned, given to Nixon and so forth, is that uh, mob was certainly involved in politics, but there's no evidence beyond JFK's friendship with Frank Sinatra, who was mobbed up, of course. That's where they think the loan was donated to was the twenty five thousand was through Frank Sinatra, and he never delivered it, and they that's why he was making I think a phone call with Johnny Roselli saying that Frank, that son of a bitch. Or something of that along those lines. It's a transcript, which I mean, the transcript, it's through someone had to type it and you can't find the original transcript. So you can't take right. that at face value. But yeah, and that's and that's the um that's probably you 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 have to take the word of people like that. And and again, is is it possible JFK um maybe ran into some mob figure through a Sinatra? I don't know, because RFK, which is right-hand man. And he, you know, nobody has been as zealous, but it's ironic because RFK, until later, he became a civil rights crusader. But and it's ironic that after the assassination, he kind of dropped the mob thing. Uh, but before that, you know, going back to the McClellan committee hearings with Jimmy Hoffa, where he almost challenged Hoffa to a fight at, at a congressional hearing. You know, to, and he, he, he would sit there and belittle Sam Giancana, told him, you talk like he called him a little girl. I mean, you watch it. That's a crow. So this guy was his brother's, you know, his brother's uh, buddy who was sharing Judith Campbell extra. I mean, it doesn't fit. JFK was uh, I. JFK was one of these people that uh, I, I think he was uh, he had stars in his eyes in terms of Hollywood and celebrity. Loved Wait gossip a minute. And, 
Is Sam G and Connor the Chicago mob boss? Yes, yes. Okay, then he's the one that did the twenty five thousand, not Carlos Marcello. Yeah, but if you if you watch the the testimony where, where young Robert F Kennedy Jr. and Robert F Kennedy Sr. is grilling him, I mean, he say, "Oh, Mister, all these little girls do that, Mister Giancana," and and you can see him kind of giggling or something. I mean, I mean, he had RFK had balls of steel, man. He's sitting there calling the you know mob boss a little girl. I mean, he's, he you know just like with Hoffa, you know, he was making fun of him as well. He he uh, whatever else you want to say about RFK, he he was courageous. There's no question about it, and. Uh, Probably thought he was, you know, he was a uh, uh, Teflon or something. Um, I, much, I just think. Well, I'll say how much of the the damning to the careers of the Kennedys came from the blaming of the Joe Kennedy stuff and also the women's scandals. I mean, it seems like a great way to kind of trash their reputations. All of it. I mean, it's all built around that. If you talk to any real Kennedy head yourself. Years before, I remember getting in arguments when I was really young because I, I was a Kennedy fanboy then, and I was just starting to you know, study the assassination. Now, a lot of them would say, oh, he, he left those guys out to dry at the Bay of Pigs. You know, he's responsible for everything. I would try to point out, look, he, this was something he inherited from Nixon. It was planned by the CIA. He was very young. He trusted them. Uh, he, he was told that things would go well. They'd be you know, welcomed, much as we'd see later in Iraq and Afghanistan, where they were told that soldiers would be welcomed. You know, they'd be throwing flowers at them. You know, thank you, come and rescue us. And of course, that never happens. But this is what they're told. JFK was told that that the Cubans run out to greet them, and he's so grateful for the thing. And obviously, they didn't. They got slaughtered. But JFK refused. To, he didn't want to get more entrenched. So they, they but these Cubans. Especially in the people on the right who hated, hated Kennedy anyhow, they looked at it as like he betrayed them. That he could have saved things if he'd he'd been air support any time. He didn't want to get involved to the extent that they had, but he let it go. He trusted them, and then of course he fired the top three officials in the CIA. One of them, Alan Dulles, the director, who again already had a hatred for his father from the commission in the 1950s, and he fires uh, Richard Bissell, and then he fires um, uh, Charles Cabell. Whose brother, now we know, was the mayor, Earl Cabell, was the mayor of Dallas when Kennedy was assassinated. And one of the, the disclosures, one of the documents that was declassified a couple of years ago, proved what we already knew that our, our Earl Cabell, the mayor of Dallas, had been a CIA operative for many years. It's like his brother. So, and, you know, that was the mayor of whatever it means, that was the mayor. And you could kind of look at it, you know, sometimes you look at the big picture and, okay, JFK was killed in uh, the home state of his. Um, his second in command who took over. I mean, and that's why I think one of the communist leaders said something like that. You know, it's like that happened over here. You know, if, if one of our presidents was, uh, was killed in the hometown of uh, his second in command, then you know who the first suspect would be. And then you have the mayor of that city, who's the CIA operative, who was the brother of a guy who had been fired by JFK after this, you know, after the Bay of Pigs. So, those are the kind of things you can look up in generalities that are interesting and should have brought the uh, the curiosity of investigators, but it didn't because they weren't interested in investigating anything. And in fact, you had Alan Dulles sitting on the Warren Commission, which is, you know, the most of all the ridiculous members of the Warren Commission, the idea that they put this guy on who despised the Kennedy family and had been fired, humiliated by JFK. JFK, this is a career bureaucrat, brother of John Foster Dulles, and they named a big airport out here, Dulles Airport near me after him. Um, to be humiliated, have his career end like that, but this young whippersnapper, you know, coming in there whose who's father he despised and firing him, making him look bad. Just imagine the hostility. And, and then you have, you know, if, if the mafia 
I don't. I, I think the mafia. They may, they may have been involved in some peripheral way, but I mean, somebody like Giancana. Imagine how he felt towards uh, RFK when RFK sitting there on 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 TV, the cameras rolling, saying only little girls do that. I mean, sort of humiliating a mobster. I mean, is there any more anybody more macho than a mob boss? I, I don't know. But I mean, that's that's pretty that's pretty amazing. So uh, I, you know, there, there, obviously there's lots of this kind of stuff to go over. But just all the things I'm mentioning are just parts of the, the many reasons why people like me. I've been studying this thing in the mid '70s when I was a teenager with uh, with Mark Ryan's Submitted Inquiry and. Uh, you know, these, all these things have been out there. So I have no patience for people that come along decades later and you know, Oswald did it and try to justify it. I mean, there's so many things out there and some of the stuff I forget, you know, but I mean, there's so many obvious reasons that make whatever happened. The official story is impossible. So you start with that premise that they lied. They didn't investigate anything and they built up a, a very flawed prosecutorial brief against Lee Harvey Oswald. Who had obviously the background he had himself, which is very interesting. And uh, start from that premise that they're they're selling you this monstrous lie, and they're still trying to sell it to you sixty years later. So I don't. The mafia is defanged. Does the mafia even exist anymore? I don't know how the mafia could still get the media to cover up. How could the anti-Castro Cubans? Castro's been dead now for a while. So can anti-Castro Cubans get the media to still cover up? Can Hollywood, except for Oliver Stone, to cover up? I don't think so. And uh, so it's pretty obvious that whoever, whatever organization did it or pulled the trigger back then, it still has a very much power. Can I ask about who do you think orchestrated Ruby to shoot Oswald? Well, you know, again, because because this case is so crazy, there's a there's Enough a whole school. blame here doesn't get put on Dallas police. I think a lot of blame should be put on Dallas police. And I think they might have got Ruby to shoot Oswald because of the fact they knew that if he went to trial, they were going to see a clear violation of Oswald's rights. Yeah. Oh, obviously. I mean, there's, and that's the first thing nobody, any, this guy, Jim, Jim, Jim Lavelle, who lived to be 99 years old, just died a few years ago. Jim Lavelle made, you know, made the circuit. A lot of the critics were friendly with him. The guy was, the guy let it happen. I mean, the guy was handcuffed to Oswald on one side, and there was 70 police officers in, in the basement. Nothing – I mean, Oswald should have been surrounded, obviously. He was not surrounded. His in front was completely open, and nobody questioned that. And uh, and then you have a whole school of thought, again, because these things are never investigated. You have a whole school of thought now that it wasn't really Jack Ruby. I mean, I, I talk to many of them all the time. That Ruby I don't. Didn't I don't want to entertain that. Don't. Yeah, exactly. It's it's but that that's what happens when when things aren't investigated. You get these things, or no, it was, it was, it was somebody you know made to look like him or whatever. But Ruby, uh, <clears throat> I think that is um, there's a little bit of a similarity with Sirhan Sirhan. He has he has the trappings of a Manchurian candidate because uh, he first of all, how do you, how do you sell Ruby on on something like that? It's almost like being a suicide bomber. You know, you're not gonna. We're not gonna be able to sell this as you're a hero. But so I don't think they, they. Some people. I don't think they could have sold him on that idea. Well, he had the gun on him when he was at the midnight press conference. When he was all in Dallas police all weekend, but he chooses that transfer as like, oh, this is his time to shine. He was a Western Union. I was like, he's videotaped all over the place. He could easily shot That's Oswald thanks. when you paraded in front of the press. Exactly, and and we hear that little tit tit of the of the car horn. Uh, right before he jumps forward. I, I think that, you know, again, what we know about the Manchurian candidate mind control, personally, I think that was a triggering mechanism. 
I think that's what triggered it. And then, of course, we got up and all this weird stuff talking about the Jews are going to be blamed for it and all this. I, I, I don't even understand all that. But Ruby was, if you listen to him, he was off his rocker a lot of times, claiming you know some of the stuff he was saying. But he was a nightclub owner, and he, he, his mob connections went back to Al Capone. So he, he could have been an unbalanced character to begin with. And uh, but you know I don't uh, I think Ruby, and that's why in, in Pipe the Bimbo and Red in the book that I just wrote with William Law, um, we go into we don't go into his background quite as much, but he's part of that character. What I call the New Orleans ground ground level conspiracy. Those are the people that uh, some of them covered in great depth by uh, Oliver Stone and JFK, David Ferry, uh, Jack Martin, the anti-Castro Cubans, Guy Bannister, Jack Ruby, and of course, Lee Harvey Oswald. Now, I think, as Garrison did, that Lee Harvey Oswald at the time of the assassination was on assignment for either the FBI, the CIA, maybe both, to uh, and told to infiltrate what he was told was a plot to kill the president. I go beyond Garrison. I think all those guys, with the exception of Clay Shaw, I think Clay Shaw, and we show in this book the, the connections. Clay Shaw had connections going back to uh, World War II and Operation Paperclip. He had connections forever. He was a very powerful figure. He didn't fit in that group. He was hanging around some people that were way beneath him socially. And there's a had, had to be a reason for that. It wasn't just sexual because of the crazy sex stuff. But um, think that he was the conduit. He was the connection between those ground level characters who were being manipulated. Now, just speculating. Oswald was part of that. He's being manipulated to be the patsy. I think they all might have been played off against each other. They might have all been told, hey, infiltrate this plot. There's, there, these people are planning to kill the president. Easy could be possible. They could have played them all off against each other. But what that ground level plot did is it, it, it immersed Oswald to be surrounded by a bunch of anti-Castro I think that was a total smokescreen, much as the mafia was. I don't think Cuba had anything to do with the assassin. So I've said, I've said to these guys who think that, okay, if if uh, JFK was killed because he wanted reproachment with Castro, he didn't want another Bay of Pigs. What happened after the assassination? I must have missed Bay of Pigs too. LBJ did nothing. The CIA stopped trying to assassinate Castro, and he outlived them all. This Cuba died as an American political issue with JFK. It was never raised. Nixon was supposedly a big right-wing anti-communist. He never said anything about Castro. He never tried to overthrow. He didn't try to get his CIA to kill him. It died with JFK. That was a smokescreen, and I think that was the reason why you saw Oswald and, and Ruby and all these people connected to all these anti-Castro figures. They were trying to set that in place. That was maybe always a backup plan. That we can blame rogue elements, you know, that term rogue elements of the CIA, rogue CIA agents, and uh, maybe the mafia and some anti Castro figures. Those weren't the people that killed, obviously, but those people were being manipulated. Obviously, and a bunch of them ended up dead. Most of the people in, in that ground level conspiracy, uh, Shaw survived to go to trial, but uh, the rest of them, Carlos Brigadier, he's still alive. But all the most of the rest of them died in very strange ways. And uh, in, in my book, I was the first one to, get, to be able to contact. Uh, I, I talked to uh, the sisters of Ed Bobel, who was Lee Harvey Oswald's best friend in high school. I always thought he was murdered at the Alvin Oxter Clinic in New Orleans. Well, people can read what I, I touched base on his family. And they, they had some very interesting things to say about it. I guess picture of his sisters in the book and pictures of uh, Bobel as well. Um, so that's why this, this book really does go over new material like that. But it reinforces the... the uh, 
the importance of that ground level conspiracy, the importance of New Orleans, because that's where the, the, the myth was built. The, the idea that if this thing ever, if, if somehow they had to, to drop the lone assassin thing, you know, you're going to misdirect people. You're going to misdirect people into Cuba, anti-Castro Cubans, maybe the mob. And that's completely wrong. I think the real murderers were in the Pentagon, the CIA, and you know the halls of power of the government. Well, when it comes to things that are simple, ground-level, just corrupted tactics, I think you shouldn't easily blame the Dallas police because they are obviously were not performing ethically when it comes to that. But when it comes to messing up an autopsy and things of that sort – that's strictly government high up, whoever's orchestrating that behind that. But I mean, how much like with J. Edgar Hoover, I mean, a lot of people blame Alan Dulles clearly. I think he's a part of it. But I also think Hoover was as well, too. I mean, both agencies withheld information from the Warren Commission that could have been pertinent to the investigation. Whether they were conducting investigation or not, that's a different question. But I think Hoover, prime example of another corrupted official that's been in our political sure. system for a long time. Sure. And, and JFK was planning to get rid of Hoover, he was planning to get rid of Johnson, according to his secretary. So all these people had a motive, you know, to uh, why, to try to figure out who was, you know, who, who actually, I think Oliver Stone got it generally right. I think it was something in the wind. It's Mr. X, you know, Fletcher Proud, he said, I think that there were, there were people in the Pentagon like Curtis LeMay and other people. Do you, believe, do you believe he was at the autopsy when Pierre Fink and all them were going through their... Um, why wouldn't he have been? It could have been. I mean, you know, that's again, we don't, we know so little. I mean, you know, about we hear it, we, we've heard that, and uh, somebody was giving orders there. And LeMay, who was basically based on the character of Dr. Train Club, that's what they based the movie on. So, you know, how dangerous this guy was. Uh, but they remember, these people remember when JFK was the only one that stopped us from going to war with Cuba over the missiles. He was the only one, to, don't forget, the Joint Chiefs of Staff hated him. Because he's the only one that stopped us from the, you know, uh, batshit crazy Operation Northwoods. I mean, JFK is the only one who vetoed that. The entire Joint Chiefs of Staff approved the CIA and the, the, the plan of, if, again, talk about people want to make fun of Sandy Hook and all these other things. They were planning fake plane crashes and fake stuff back then. That's what Operation Northwoods was. So why were they doing that? And to blame it on Cuba, supposedly. So, um they lots of these and J. Edgar Hoover hated uh, uh, Kennedy's because you know Robert F. Kennedy especially hated they hated him because they knew he had whatever he had on the Kennedys. I don't know. I think it was exaggerated probably, but he had supposedly had uh, blackmail information on all these other guys while supposedly dressing in dress himself and you know being what he was with Clyde Tolson. Uh, so I don't know how that didn't backfire on him, but they were going to get rid of him. He had been an institution and. In, uh, in Washington, D.C., so he would have, and you're right, he did. He, the FBI really led the cover-up. They let Hoover run with the cover-up, and uh, that's what people like Harold Weisberg, my hero, and uh, one of my heroes, that people like that, that that's fired Freedom of Information Act lawsuits for years. Harold Weisberg, that's where I met him. I went and had dinner at his house. I picked him up in D.C. because he was going into D.C. every day at an old age to uh, file Freedom of Information Act lawsuits to try to get the government to, you know, to to release some document. And most of the time, because J. Edgar Hoover and Weisberg's owner had pointed out, J. Edgar Hoover had had these documents purposely Xeroxed over and over again to make them as illegible as possible. You, know, you don't do that in a benign cover-up. This thing was the last furthest thing from benign. That's why I have no tolerance again for what I call the neocons in the research community. So it was a benign cover-up or the cover-up was separate from the conspiracy. I mean, it's all... All misdirection. It's like the anti-Castro Cubans. No, this was a huge conspiracy. Folks, this was planned at the highest levels of government. 
The only thing that could possibly explain 60 years later, a whole new generation of journalists acting the same way. I mean, none again, go back to Forrestal. Once in a while, they make a mistake in our favor. And I'm not talking about Jefferson Morley, who's, you know, David Powell, but they're, you know, they're neocons themselves. They're better than the other people in the mainstream media, but they're not really, you know, going out there like somebody like me. I mean, I, again, I've, I've been at this longer than almost all these guys. And I know the subject inside out. And there's, there's no question in my mind, this was a, a conspiracy orchestrated and carried out by the most powerful forces in the government. And uh, these, these are, these are, this is something that they wanted to happen, and that's why they have so much invested. And so much the Kennedy assassination is important because so much happened as a result of it. For instance, RFK would have never been assassinated if JFK hadn't been. JFK Jr., you know, and I was the first one to investigate that. He wouldn't have been assassinated. He was assassinated. If it hadn't been for uh, JFK being assassinated because of that. He, would, he wanted to find out who killed his father behind the scenes. It's a whole other story, but that's in hidden history, and I'm going to have a lot more about that in the American memory hole. But Pipe the Bimbo in Red is, is uh, I, I hope people find it interesting. William Law is great. You know, he's expert, he's underappreciated expert on the, the medical evidence, but this is a labor of love, and it's based uh, on my friendship. My brother was best friends with Dean Andrews III, somehow. I mean, it was very coincidental, and he became a friend of my family. And uh, he's, he, this is the first time he's spoken out, interviewed about his father, what his father really believed behind the scenes and uh, the impact it had on their family. And so uh, it's, I think it's a look that I know, obviously no one's had this before because he's never spoken out before. So hopefully people like it. I don't expect the research community to like it because they don't like anything I'm associated with. So we'll see. You know. What about Oswald and the Fair Play for Cuba Committee chapter that he was trying to start in New Orleans? Do you think that was part of COINTELPRO, the FBI program of trying to get radicals radicalized? Yeah, yeah. and in this book, Pipe and the Red, we'll go into that a little bit. The history of the Fair Play for Cuba Committee, and I was indebted to Paul Blow, who I did some great research for DOJ. I spoke to him an hour ago. Did you really? Okay, yeah. Yeah, he's done some unheralded work as well, and he went into the history of the Fair Play for Cuba Committee, and people... It's it's interesting, you know. It's it's it's, it's an interesting outfit, and again, it was there's there's nothing about anything associated with Oswald that was normal. Uh, Oswald had, as Richard Schweiker, uh, Senator Richard Schweiker, said he had the fingerprints of intelligence all over him. And we'll, in this book, we'll show um, Ann Dishler, who's another underappreciated researcher. Uh, William Law knew her, and uh, we transcribed a speech she gave at a conference a long time ago, and. Uh, talked about, she's gone now, but she talked about how uh, when she was working for Garrison, that uh, one of the things they did, they tracked down all the Oswald impersonations in New Orleans. And they're completely separate from the ones we know, Sylvia Odio and uh, the, the most the most popular ones, uh, uh, the Albert Bogard, the, the car salesman, Ralph Leon Yates, and all, all the people that took the gun range uh, shooting guy. Uh, these were people, there were so many impersonating Oswald in New Orleans as well. Dropping his name and trying to make it look like he was out there, and you know, throwing the the Castro stuff and the Kennedy stuff out there. So, this, you know, this uh, that's something that doesn't happen if it's a bunch of rogue elements. This was this was a very sophisticated operation, and it was it involved a lot of people, and uh, they they had so much invested in the JFK assassination yeah, because if, if JFK assassination truth is ever real, the real truth, then you see the truth about RFK, probably MLK too. The truth about Chappaquiddick, and I'm one of the few people out there. I don't think Ted Kennedy was in the car. I think that was his political assassination in terms of ever being president. It was, and uh, and of course, JFK Jr. 
You can even go down to Michael Kennedy, you know, dying in an accident on the sleeves, playing football on the ski slopes. And the same week, Sonny Bono died the same way. One of the most outspoken people in Congress about Waco and, and other things. Uh, so these things are all connected. And that's what that's why I think the people, other people in the research community uh, have a problem with me is because they don't want to connect anything. They, they look at the JFK assassination in isolation. They think, okay, this was a this was a crime. Maybe the FBI at that time and the few CIA figures at that time uh, to do it. And, and but after that, things were pretty cool. But then they killed RFK too. But it might not even be connected. I mean, that's that's their attitude. Most of them don't even believe in nine eleven truth. So I, you know, obviously, I'm not getting along with people like that. I, I think all these things are connected. I think we see it, and I think you see it even today in the campaign of RFK Jr. I, I don't really know what to make of RFK Jr.'s campaign. I like a, a lot of what he's saying, uh, but, uh, you know, if he get, was assassinated, it wouldn't shock me. You know, I I, I, don't, I don't know what, what's don't going on there. that on the guy. Jesus, man. No, no, I certainly don't wish on him, but it wouldn't shock me if it happened. That, but on the other hand, I don't know. He's polling really, he's polling higher than I ever thought he would. He is getting some attention. It's mostly all negative. But I don't know. I, I don't know. I hope I hope he I want to root for somebody. You know, I do want to root for somebody. But um at this point Well, what do you expect to happen now that we've hit 60 years? You think you're gonna start seeing some documents? I mean, it's interesting because back to the beginning of the discussion, when I was looking at things for the 60th, there was a couple articles about witnesses that have never stepped forward that talked about it now they all agree with obviously the lone nut scenario but they they just they were stepping forward for the first time in 60 years which i was like why didn't you ever bother for publicity back then your story doesn't add anything it doesn't change anything it's nothing new it's just oh i was there too when it all happened and this is how it happened it seems like do i honestly i don't believe that you're saying that now but one woman took photos and she was in the hallway of the DPD headquarters was the top article. I think when I saw it, it was posted like six hours ago, but she was talking about like, oh, yeah, I was there at the DPD headquarters. I saw Jack Ruby shoot Oswald. And it was just like you didn't have press credentials where there are just average citizens being in there as well, too. So you have to raise these questions. But to me, it's just interesting because I think it's going to end up staying the same until eventually everyone who is probably even me and my generation is probably gone and you might get something out of it. But I don't know what you would be getting out of it besides Oswald just wasn't what it's already what we know. Oswald wasn't a lone nut. He wasn't this person that was, you know, did it for the fame, like they said in the beginning. And that's on footage of him saying, I'm just a patsy. I need legal representation. So I, I think Everything we need right now is already out there. It's just about getting the public in on the discussion. The only way you can do that is to show them that at this point, you have to look at it at a clear eyes. If he never stood trial, you have to treat him as a person that could technically not be guilty. And he was guilty in the eyes of the American people when Marina stepped forward as his wife and completely slandered the record. Right. And also and also that wouldn't have been allowed to happen in the court of law because you can't be compelled to testify against your husband. So, so, and, and really everything, the only, the guilt in terms of inviting Oswald's character, it all comes from Marina and Ruth Payne, who's still alive, by the way. And it was disastrous. And of course, she has a very dubious background herself, as you know. So uh, this is, we, people need to recognize that, that in terms of, uh, Oswald didn't do it. We need to start there. I think Fletcher Prousey was one of the first ones that used to get mad at people for, you know, why are you concentrating on Oswald so much? He didn't do it. 
let's find out. But but I think Oswald is an important part of this because he was uh, they they took a lot of time and effort from him and manipulate him and and put him in a position to say he was the patsy. So I think his life is important. But uh, these things, I don't think we're ever there. They're certainly never going to, as I said about it, they won't even they won't even let Meriwether Lewis's body be exhumed. I mean, a guy that a lot of, especially young Americans, don't know who the hell Meriwether Lewis is. They maybe have heard of Lewis and Clark exhibition. Probably most of them haven't even heard of that. He's completely irrelevant to today's world, and yet his family wants to have his body exhumed just to just to prove that he was murdered instead of that he, they don't want it on the record that he killed himself. That's understandable. They won't even allow that. The National Park Service blocks that. They are vested, they are totally invested in these lies. So it doesn't matter what, what the lie is, Lincoln assassination, uh, going into World War One, uh, you know, World War II, Pearl Harbor, uh, any to you know, obviously anything with the JFK assassination. I'm just going with modern stuff, all the way through, you know, uh, October Surprise, uh, Waco, Oklahoma City. All the things I've covered in my books, they're not going to let the truth about any of those subjects come forward. They act the same way again. You know, they'd make a mistake in our favor once in a while. The, the establishment always acts the same way. They cover up. Their instinct is always to cover up. Their instinct is to ridicule any whistle, whistleblowers that come forward no matter what it is. And you see it even today. Whistleblowers that come forward to anything. Look at Julian Assange. Why is he exiled? Why is Edward Snowden exiled? Uh, Bradley, Chelsea Manning is in danger. Yeah, these are the whistleblowers we have today. And I, I've interviewed a lot of them, a lot less uh, notable whistleblowers on my show. They're always treated the same thing, same way. So that's why I believe people say you think everything's a conspiracy. Yeah, we have, we're, we're run by organized corruption. You call it organized crime. You, you call, you know, that's what they used to call the mafia. The people that run us, basically, this is the premise of organized crime. What did the mobsters used to do? to put hits on people that were a threat to them. I think that's what our government does. I think they hit people that are a threat to them, whether they're some whistleblower nobody's ever heard of or or whatever. And you see it all the time. My books are full of these unnatural deaths. You just had recently, uh, you know, a few months ago, um, Obama's chef died under All right. We're drifting a little too far, but I gotta I got I gotta ask what your opinion is on Margaret Oswald, Marguerite. Oh, in, in the American Memory Hole, I'll have a lot more about her. I, I, uh, I think Marguerite Oswald has been treated very unfairly. Uh, I see. In, in all reality, she was the first so-called conspiracy theorist. He's the one that got Mark Lane started. She hired Mark Lane to represent the interests. She fed him information. She fed information to all the early critics. She went and interviewed people like Helen Markham and people like that. I mean, the story—it's unbelievable. And I, I interviewed a guy. I had him on my show, uh, John, uh, Mark, John Martino, I think his name is, who uh, John Mancino. I've had him on too. Mancino, yeah, John Mancino, yeah, and uh, he he was best friends with Marguerite at one point. She she had no other friends in the world, and he talked about. I had already written that section on the book about uh, trying to restore her. She was treated terribly unfairly. Bob Schieffer, a CBS reporter, went on the fame, of course, because he lied and a typical establishment reporter didn't investigate anything. He misrepresented her and tried to call her a money grubber and said she was crazy from the very beginning. He set the tone for what the public thought of her. And they, they picture her, and you still have her today slandered that way with the likes of Stephen King. Stephen King, so-called great, he's a great fiction author. He uh, he just made up this nonsense about it. There's no evidence at all for it saying that uh, 
that Lee Harvey Oswald, that Marguerite used to march Lee Harvey Oswald out in the, the living room and make him drop his pants to see if he was developed like a man. See, there's, there's no evidence for that at all. Why would somebody go to the trouble of doing that? Again, all to prop up the myth. And in that case, they she was the, unlike most of these families, and believe me, I've tried to talk to family members of all these events. They're very hard to get a hold of. They, you know, their phones are disconnected. They don't want to talk. People like Seth Rich or the family, that they'll sue you if you try to talk about it. So, and why? Don't they want to know the truth about this? But Marguerite Oswald, from the very beginning, never accepted the story. She took the government on head on and she told them that this is a lie. My government, my son worked for the government. She's the one to, the, to this day. She told Jim Marsh for decades. And again, the neocons of the research community that run this thing now. Well, that's Billy Lovelady in the, in the doorway. It has not been established that's Billy Lovelady in the Alton photograph. It could be. I'm not saying it isn't. Could be just as easily be Oswald. It has not been established. They pretend it's been established. Hasn't it? In your mind. Not in my mind. Marguerite Oswald should have known it was her son. And she used that as some of the best evidence always. She kept telling Jim Marsh, that's my boy in the doorway. And she knew that. As you know, John Mancino, she uh, she was a really nice person. And she was treated terribly by people. People uh, acted like she was some kind of bitch. And she was and that that's, wasn't the case. And the, the poor woman had to sell whatever she could. <clears throat> because she was fired after the assassination. One of these things, people don't realize the, the kind of uh, the steamrolling effect of something like that where he didn't assassinate anybody, even if her son did, or, you know, he didn't. Why was she fired from her job? She couldn't work anywhere. She could never get it, and she was elderly already. So she had to live off her pittance of Social Security. Who could blame her for trying to charge for interviews and stuff? That's what, how she how was she supposed to survive? Her family abandoned her. Because she was the only, her son, you know, Robert was horrible. That's why, you know, I'm sure you know Mancino said, you know, he, he didn't have where he talked to Robert Oswald. He, he he had some very choice things to say about him. But, and of course, Robert was popping up the official story. Uh, Marguerite wouldn't. So I, I have very, uh, uh, a lot of empathy for her. And I think she was treated very unfairly. And she did a lot of really good work. She had a full assassination library. If she was alive today, she'd probably have my hidden history, I'm guessing. And uh, I would have contacted her. I would love to talk to her. I, I, I told Mancino, I envy you, man. You got the, I mean, I, I think she was, I mean, there's nothing sadder than, you know, the idea that she was peeking through the, the gates of the school gate, trying to see little June, her grandchild, trying to see her play because she was, she never met them. She was denied being able to see them again. Uh, it's very sad. So I think she was a, a very tragic figure in history. And uh, if we ever, if the truth about this ever were told, it won't be. But if it was, and she would probably should be credited as the one who got the ball rolling. Look, I think is a heroic figure. It's um, yeah, it's difficult. I think we've mentioned this before, but it's about the witnesses and people experiencing that to relive that pain as well. Too, I get why some witnesses don't talk, but I also, I don't know, I stand more in the conviction line of just trying to get the truth out. Yeah, and you had it's not it's not just Marguerite Oswald. The family of Martin Luther King were profiles in courage. They were great. I mean, uh, 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 Coretta Scott King, at, at an elderly age, she went to another state. She traveled to another state to testify for James Earl Ray. And so did Dexter King. Dexter King came out and said, I looked in his eyes and, you know, he didn't kill my father. And even to Robert F. Kennedy Jr., he, you know, <clears throat> the rest of his family hates him now. And they're ostracized, but that's mainly because he went and met with Sir Hunt and he said, I know he didn't do it. They don't want to hear that. All, they, all, the rest of the family acts like, you know, 
Most of these families do, but the King family was a profile encouraged, and they're really the only ones. They didn't get very much credit for it at all. And uh, I don't know why these other families don't, but I can tell you that's um, well, people you see in, in Pipe the Bimbo and Red, oh, oh, the family of Ed Bobel was a little differently. Not at first, but they were. And uh, it was Lee Harvey Oswald's best friend in high school, but most of them are not. I mean, I've tried to track down Timothy McVeigh's sister. I can actually talk to his father. He didn't want to talk. Most of these people, you can't get your phone call. Their phones are disconnected. And somebody like me, I'm coming from the standpoint, if I'm trying to contact them, I'm, um, I'm on the side that, you know, their their loved one didn't do what he, you know, what they claim he did or whatever. I'm trying to get into the church. You'd think they'd want to talk to somebody like that. But even the people like the, uh, the 9-11 people, even the people that were vocal early on, can't contact them now. They're they're impossible to contact. And it's, I guess they realize that it's um, they've seen so many other people die. Maybe they don't want to be on a hit list. And uh, they also know it's not a good career move. I mean, Marguerite Oswald was never able to work again. And I imagine any high profile nine eleven whistleblower, where you know, you're probably not going to be able to get much of a job if that's what you're known. And that's what problem we face even today with. Uh, a threat of a Chinese style uh, social credit score. I mean, I've, you know, some people sometimes ask me, you know, oh, you're talking big. What are you doing? I said, look, I'm putting myself out here. I'm writing. I have thousands of subscribers now at Substack. I have a, a big enough platform. I don't know how many people listen to my show, but people do all over the world. I put myself out there. I'm on the record. I, you know, I'm a thought criminal in their eyes. I've made myself unemployable in this marketplace. If I wanted to go back in it and do anything, who's going to hire me? Some, some some other conspiracy theorist, but nobody else. So I, I, I've done that. What else can I do? And so that's really all any of us could do. What can we do? I'm not, I'm not going to lead a march of 20 people and get tasered by the police. you got to tell me there's got to be a lot of people out there that I'll go. I'll be there then, but I'm not going to. I could be like the January six people and end up in prison. Why? Why? Why am I going to do that? Yeah, I mean, you, you bring up a lot of controversial little tidbits while you're trying to get to your point on that one. I'm like, shit. I'm just thinking of YouTube <laughs> on my head right now. Going, they'll flag that. They'll flag that. Oh no, no. Actually, that. actually, actually, they won't. YouTube. The only thing is, uh, you know. Yeah, let's not talk about that. Yeah, I that's ask. the only one. Life that's the only one. Every everyone else, they let go on my YouTube. Anyhow. Life Magazine. What are your thoughts on it? I mean, obviously they did a bunch of crazy stuff, but well, Life Magazine at that time was a, maybe the biggest uh, uh, mainstream media outlet, and it was a perfect illustration of uh, the way the media operated. Here you had the most uh, notable footage, maybe in American American history, film footage of you know in detail of the assassination of a president. They, they should have been able to make a lot of money off of that. And they're supposed to be, you know, capitalist profit motive. Instead, they paid Zapruder. We found out they paid Zapruder a lot more than they originally said. And he originally said, lied about it. Then they buried the film for 12 years. Uh, they, they didn't allow it in. They had, you know, drawings on it based for the Warren Commission used. And the, uh, uh, they published some frames that they put backwards, you know, to try to sort of make it look like Kennedy was shot from the uh, rear instead of the front. Again, that didn't happen accidentally. But yeah, Life Magazine was Life Magazine was run by the Looses and Robert T. Jackson, the people that had uh, these were people that had intelligence backgrounds, and again, were not friendly to the Kennedys either. So uh, they didn't like the father, and they wouldn't like him. So they were they were. I don't think you have to enlist them in a conspiracy, but they're naturally not going to want the truth because people think that 
it has to be where they're all sitting in a meeting somewhere. And, and that doesn't have to be the case. And in, in something like the media case, if you know these people, they already, like, for instance, most of us, let's say Hillary Clinton was a Somebody Jesus like Christ, Don, come on. <laughs> I'm not saying she should be, but I'm saying if that happens. Stop happened. pissing off people that can actually kill you. You might as well just go after <laughs> Disney while you're at it. Well, I'm saying if that happened, people, somebody, most, many of us in the conspiracy world, we wouldn't be motivated to look real deeply into it because we don't like her. And I think that's the way, if you look at people like Life Magazine, I don't think they like the Kennedy. And so I think they were happy with his death because the, what happens is when, and that's what I get from the Kennedy haters all the time. Oh, you just can't accept the fact that a little significant nobody was able to kill a powerful figure. And that, that used to be their line all the time. Well, I mean, I could accept it, but the evidence doesn't show that. But they don't want it to have any significance. And Noam Chomsky, that's why Noam Chomsky, because, because Noam Chomsky doesn't think JFK was any different. So he doesn't think JFK would have gotten out of Vietnam. So he's saying, well, his death doesn't matter. Things would have been the same. Why would they have killed him? Well, I don't know. National Security Act Memorandum 263. That's a pretty good reason. But uh, they, so that, that because they don't like Kennedy, they, they don't like the subject. Life Magazine, Henry Lewis, Robert D. Jackson, they don't like, you know, they hated old man Kennedy. They're perfectly satisfied with a nobody killing this guy and getting rid of them. They're not going to look any further into it. There might have been some of their friends involved, that they're, you know, fellow intelligence contacts, people that they went to Bilderberg meetings with, maybe people, their fellow members of the Council of Foreign Relations. People are all part of this, as George Carlin said, it's a big club. You know, we ain't in it, but those guys are. And so I think that they, um, and they get the message too. I think a lot of times they've been in it long enough to know, okay, once Oswald was silenced, I think they knew what was up. They realized, okay, well, they're, and, and they, they probably already started hearing about maybe other deaths. Right? And uh, so they said, okay, well, I'm not, well, not going to ask too many questions here. It's better just to accept this. If I do this, you know, I mean, even today, somebody like me, if I was, I could probably get a huge contract from the biggest co uh, publisher if I decided, hey, you know, I've all this experience going back to the 1970s, but no, I actually think Oswald did it. So all these guys are wrong. I think I could probably get, you know, my, big, my biggest paycheck by far. As a writer, you know, if you sell out something like it, because that's what they're trying to sell. They don't they don't want to sell uh, uh, truth when it interferes with their uh, aim. So uh, that's a, as you said, I, that's what I do, though, Robbie. I, I tend to if you listen to my show, you say I'm all over the place. You know, I'll go from one day to the next. I'll, I'll draw connections and I, I kind of uh, it's a stream of consciousness this thing. But I think all this stuff really is related. It's not. And that's what people, most of the other people, the researchers. They think the JFK assassination happened in the vacuum. I think there are lots of reasons, you know, going back to the old man, you know, beforehand, before the assassination, certainly since then, I think all these, these things are connected because it's an, it's a continuous, uh, uninterrupted timeline of corruption. And that's what it is. That's the way these people operate. They don't know any of the way they're, so no, I don't think they're ever going to tell the truth about the JFK assassination uh, because they're not going to tell the truth about anything. So, uh, and this is, I think, the mother of all conspiracies because it's, it's drawn the most interest because the JFK assassination draws the interest of people who aren't like me. It draws the people who are not necessarily conspiratorially inclined, who may pretty much trust the system, but they know enough about that. They know the single bullet theory. They know Oswald being killed, you know, with 70 Dallas police officers around, things like that. That's enough to get up there and get their interest. 
okay, something, yeah, something's fishy there. Yeah, somebody killed JFK. But that doesn't stand for a lot of the other subjects. And uh, so that's why it's it's it would be the easiest probably to get the truth out of that because more people would be willing look look what happened Oliver Jones JFK, the film. I mean, you had Oprah Winfrey and people like that talking about it. They, they were talking openly about it on their shows. I mean, Oliver Jones, I'll never criticize him because he got he got people, he got all the people in Hollywood that, uh, including, you know, John Candy, who played, you know, Dean Andrews Jr., who's you know, the, the, the father of uh, my friend, Dean Andrews III. And, you know, the the, the uh, inspiration for the, for this book, he got all these guys who had not, had not been talking about Walter Matthau, Jack Lemmon, all these veteran actors that he got to appear in cameos. Uh, not to mention Kevin Costner and, and people like that, like Joe Pesci. I don't think that would have happened with any a director that wasn't as big as Oliver Stone. So Oliver Stone had had a lot of balls, and I give him a lot of credit. That that was the most courageous film Hollywood ever made, and obviously it it uh, has uh, you know a lot to do with my book, my William and a Law and Ice book type of them one run because it's, it's basically he he concentrated on the New Orleans aspect of it, and I think Jim Garrison solved the. Uh, the assassination at the ground level. I think he had that solved. He knew Clay Shaw was the big enchilada, as uh, Dean Andrews would put it. But uh, I, I think from there, once you do that, then you can look at, okay, who was Clay Shaw to? Who was he reporting back to? Who, who, you know, who, among, who in the Pentagon? Who in the CIA? Who, wherever? You know, these are Permandex. You know, he had, he had connections to Permandex. Apparently, it was some kind of International Assassination Bureau uh, that had lots of people from all over the world that associated with it. There are lots and lots of powerful forces involved here. So to try to, it, it, sometimes it really does seem like, you know, Petsy's character said it's a riddle side of mystery and wrapped up at an enigma. I mean, it, a lot of times it looks that way. But on the other hand, it's very simple. You know, they lied about it. Oswald didn't do it. And they're still lying about it uh, for because they don't want the truth to be known. Well, Don, I appreciate the time you gave me to talk on my show. Always enjoy our chats. Um, is there a place where people can find any of your links you'd like to promote? Yeah, they can still try to follow me at Twitter. I'm social man. I'm the shadow man on social media at Don Jeffries. Uh, I prefer Substack is the only place I'm not shadow banned yet. And that's Donald Jeffries at Substack.com. It's called I Protest, like my weekly live streaming show on Rockfin and now Free World FM. That's every Friday at uh, 5 p.m. Eastern. We'll be talking to Kennedy's test today and um you know i talk about various things that's you know people can support me by getting uh, my books including the most shadow man book in the world i'm only masking the truth we don't know the subject matter but you can figure it out out there you can support me by trying to break the algorithms on that and the new book type the bimbo in red dean andrews jim garrison and the conspiracy to kill jfk that's uh, brand new out there and you can me by buying my books, asking your library to add them to the collection. Don't even ask people to buy them. Put them in the libraries, and I'm, I'm happy. They all that way, and more people get to read them. Well, I'm going to link all your links in the description. It's been a pleasure chatting. Thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode of Out of the Blank Podcast.